The Crude Life with host Jason Speaks. Then down Louisiana, give me a mojo hand. Then down Louisiana, give me a mojo hand. Welcome to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for joining us this week on the Crude Life Week in Review. We've got a fantastic program in store for you today. All kinds of different topics on today's docket, if you will. Dayton Mars tells the story about how his order for bulk Patagonia backpacks was rejected due to his company's affiliation with the oil and gas industry. You heard that right, folks. Just because Dayton Mars's company does business with oil and gas companies, his order was rejected by Patagonia for buying bulk backpacks for some kind of company distribution. It was going to be, you know, where you put your logo on a backpack and you give them out for company outings or at trade shows, that sort of thing. When they went to pay, well, we'll let Dayton Mars tell the story coming up here in just a moment or two. And then David Glatt, Director for the North Dakota Department of Environmental Quality. Glatt gives an update on the Keystone Pipeline spill in eastern North Dakota. So just a moment, a little later in the program, David Glatt, Director of the North Dakota Department of Environmental Quality. Then our weekly Davis Refinery update, the new refinery coming to Belfield, North Dakota, the first Greenfield Refinery to be built in the United States, the greenest and cleanest, the most environmental friendly planet, environmental uh, refinery to be built on the planet. See, sometimes I get so excited I get ahead of myself, but by default, because it's the first refinery built in 40 years, it will be the environmental leader and it's coming to Belfield, North Dakota. All right, William Prentice, David Glatt and Dayton Mars here on the Crude Life Week in Review. All right, I don't know about you, but I want to get right to Dayton Mars so we can hear more about how that bulk Patagonia order for backpacks was rejected because his company's affiliation with the oil and gas industry. This is Dayton Mars. Dayton Mars with a production hookup service. Thank you for joining the program here today. We are following up on an interesting social media post uh, from Mr. Dayton Mars, which had to do with ordering uh, some backpacks. And so we brought the good gentleman on today to tell his story right from the horse's mouth. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. What part of the country are you in? I'm based out of South Louisiana. Um, we uh, we service the Gulf area and a lot of South Texas and West Texas uh, oil patch Okay, uh, go ahead and give your company a plug. We appreciate you coming on. So, you know, at least we can do is give you a nice, you know, 15, 30-second plug for your company. Go ahead and what do you guys do? What shale plays are you guys a part of? So we're a fabrication company specializing in uh, prefabricated equipment, mainly spool piping, pipe racks, manifolds, production packages, um, any type of transfer, water transfer skid, oil transfer skid, things of that nature. So the thing that we're talking about today is a social media post involving trying to order some backpacks from a company. And when I saw it, I got to be honest, I thought it was, you know, one of those fake Internet things. So I thought, okay, but then I looked at it a little bit closer and I went, no, this actually I think is real. So then I reached out to Dayton Mars and it turns out it's real. So 
Uh, tell me, with I, I, and I didn't want to get into the specifics of it because I wanted it to come straight from the horse's mouth. So explain to me the, the, the process of what happened here to, you know, ordering the backpacks to the email you got and the re- reason that you were given for not being allowed to have backpacks. Yeah, so uh, I'll back up just a little bit. Um, I, I saw a backpack that was handed out by a fellow oil and gas company out of Houston. Um, I don't know if they gave them out last year or this year, and it was a Patagonia book sack, and I really liked the quality, the setup of it. It had a really open front for a, a good, I guess, logo display for our company. So I'm sorry, and you said, was, was it Patagonia? Yeah, it was Patagonia. Okay, that's, a, that's that outdoor company? Yeah, they. Uh, I guess they do clothing and... Uh, yeah, uh, book sacks. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not super familiar with them. I don't really own any Patagonia equipment because it's relatively expensive. Um, but so when I saw the pack, you know, I know it's a reputable brand. I really like the the backpack itself. Um, so I kind of started searching, finding you know it priced well online, and uh, from directly from Patagonia, I couldn't order the quantity that I needed without going through their like I guess corporate. Um, site so i found a third party online retailer that uh had the quantity that i needed in stock which was um i think it was roughly 40 or 45 backpacks that i was gonna buy so i placed the order and i mean it was just shy of five thousand dollars and i got a notification about two hours later that my my order and any future orders to patagonia would be canceled um, I used a company credit card. I didn't put that I was going to be logoing the backpacks or anything. So I don't know where they got the suspicion from uh, to actually cancel the order or time to go oil and gas other than it was a company credit card that had production hookup service on it. So um, that's kind of how that uh, all unfolded. So they declined the the business because you feel you were part of the energy industry? Yeah, so I mean, they specified that in the email that um, Patagonia um, does not. I don't know if it wasn't support. I, I forget the lingo they used, um, but pretty much that because I was associated with oil and gas, and they had taken a, uh, a hard stance against that, that they would not fulfill the order. Oh, so they actually did say it right in the email that hey, listen, we're taking a stance against fossil fuels, and uh, we're not going to support. Well, I, I guess I'm a little confused here because you said it was a backpack, right? Yeah, it was a backpack. Um, so I guess they, they saw that, that it was a company card uh, with production hookup service on it. And in the email, they specify that they do not sell to oil and gas related companies. So I guess they, they took it upon themselves to maybe follow up when they saw the company name and, or the company card name and the quantities purchased. They took it upon themselves, to, I guess back check or, or do some research on our company and found out we were oil and gas and then canceled the order from there. We must honor our vendor contract with Patagonia and we are required to put limits in place if we suspect products are being sold to companies in the oil and gas business. Wow, it just says yes. it. Just, that, there it is, black and white, right there in your email. Yep, so I wasn't aware of that. So after that happened, you know, I Googled, obviously, Patagonia, oil and gas, and you can see where they took a hard stance. Maybe it was a, a few years back um, that I wasn't aware of. So I really didn't make the, the post out of spite or anything like that. I just wanted to let my network, which is oil and gas, know that, that 
Patagonia took this stance. So it wasn't it wasn't a call for a boycott or or tell somebody to to go burn their their clothes. Um, obviously, if you like the brand, you like the brand, then go with it. But just letting everybody know that they don't support our calls on the other end. So to listen to the full length interview with Dayton Mars or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to click on our social media tab and check out our other features. Our social media with the YouTubes, the Twitters, even the Facebooks. We've got about 350,000 followers within our network, and we'd love it if you joined us and be part of our ever-growing army of energy enthusiasts. My name is Jason Spies, and you're listening to the Crude Life Week in Review. Well, I got this morning, I was thinking, hit me on down to Louisiana. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make energy great again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make energy great again. Visit keepenergygreat.com. That's keepenergygreat.com. Welcome back to The Crude Life, a week in review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, David Glatt, director for the North Dakota Department of Environmental Quality, gives an update on the Keystone Pipeline spill in eastern North Dakota. Appreciate you joining the program here today, talking today about an update of the recent spill in North Dakota. The Keystone Pipeline spill is what the headlines read. Uh, if we could maybe just get, you know, an update and an overview kind of spliced into one from when your office was notified to where we're at today. Sure. Yeah, we were notified uh, the evening of uh, the 29th of October uh, in the evening about 1130 that a pipeline uh, break had occurred uh, with the TC Energy Pipeline in Walsh County. Uh, the next day, we had people on the ground evaluating the, the, the spill and did identify an area of contamination uh, where the oil had stained the ground and it appeared to be a pipeline break. Uh, the company the night before had initiated shutdown uh, practices uh, for the pipeline. And so by the time we got, there, down, got to the site, the pipeline had been shut down and we were already moving into containment and remediation actions. Since that time, uh, the 
several things have happened. Uh, like I said, the area was contained uh, to the pretty much the area of impact on the surface soils. There is a wetland, a shallow wetland there that had some impact. All that water drainage was contained, and we moved into looking at uh, what caused the release. The company was mobilizing to excavate that area of pipeline. The federal agency, FIMSA, has re regulatory authority to oversee that, and so they oversaw the actual excavation, exposing of the, the corrupted pipeline area, removing that pipeline splice and putting in a new portion of pipeline before they could begin operations. And that took all about a, a week uh, to 10 days to make that happen. Since that time, uh, we've had additional soil borings taken out there to better delineate the area of extent. And as we go through the step-by-step -step process, we gain more information on what the extent of contamination is, uh, how bad the impact is to the environment, and what steps we should be taking uh, differently than we are today. In that process, we continue to uh, update or improve our estimates. With better data, you get better estimates. And that's why we're showing that initially we had a, an area of about 1,500 feet by 15 feet impact, uh, about a half acre, and now we're indicating about a little over four and a half acres of impact. The spill hasn't increased, it's just our estimates have gotten more accurate. The company is now excavating contaminated soil. Uh, they're doing air quality monitoring in the area to make sure that the air is protected. And we're anticipating that removal of the contaminated soil probably is gonna take about another month or two months. And then the actual regrading of the, the site, the fixing up of the other parts of the, the land that's become compacted with heavy equipment, that may all go into the spring of next year. Looking at some of the headlines, trying to follow the story with the press releases that your department has brought the crude life, um, you know, and then of course you got the, the media ones as well, you know, just kind of doing some headline reading as an average person, you know, the, I'm looking at one from the Hill here, original reports, 40, was it 400,000, 383,000 was reported and then we're down to 9,000 and now I saw, saw one on Yahoo that said 10 times the original amount here. Um, is this normal to fluctuate so drastically like that when it comes from this? I mean, um, I try to stick with, you know, the reports that you guys give us. But, boy, I tell you, for the average person, it's got to be really hard to kind of disseminate which, which report is real, which estimate is real, which opinion is real out there. Which one is real? <laughs> yeah, it, it is about 9,100 barrels uh, oil released and then that's equivalent to 383,000 gallons and so sometimes the reporters mix gallons and barrels together and those are two different units so uh, the hard thing is to keep consistent with the units going through so the, the 9,100 barrels is equivalent to the 383 so it's all the same there so that hasn't changed we have but what has changed is that our initial reports of about a half acre of, of impact was made quick assessment when there's a lot of activity going on. Uh, like anything else, whether it's a car accident, you know, the initial issue you see is what's in front of you, but you don't know why it happened, or really the total extent of injuries. As you investigate more and more, 
you get better information and you're better able to uh, identify really what the impact is and that's why you get different updated reports and you can expect that through any investigation one of the things we struggle with is how early should we give that information out and uh, we get input from uh, the public is that they want to know now and so when we give out information the initial reports we caveat that that that's an initial estimate based on what we know today 15 days from that point we are a lot smarter we have a lot more updated information and we're able to get new give new updated estimates and so that's just the natural progression of any one of these spills it's a step-by-step -step process every step you gain more information and you're able to better assess the real impacts that are occurring. And so that's why the changes occur. I would strongly recommend that uh, the public, if they have any questions uh, regarding really what the true uh, release amounts are, where we're at our invest in our investigation, that they contact the department and they will get the, the straight information from us as we know it at that time. And as that, that's upgraded, we'll get them the new information. I know I tell people a lot of time when it comes to complicated and complex issues like this, it's more, it's easier to kind of treat it like the stock market or fantasy baseball. Checking in day to day, it's going to drive you nuts because things change and, and it's kind of fluid and rapid. But over the course of, say, 30 days, you can start to see a pattern, a body of work. You can start to see the, the shape develop a little bit. Um, I, I think that, that's correct. And, and I think, you know, it's very important to know that it is a fluid process. And it's all about containing the spill, protecting public health and environment. That's our first priority, and we'll continue to do that. Do we know the cause? I didn't catch that in the uh, kind of the overview, I guess. Uh, have, has a cause been pinpointed at this point? Is it still under investigation? The, the, the federal agency, FEMSA, and they're the pipeline authority, <clears throat> they did get that section of pipe that failed. They take it to their national headquarters and they do a very detailed analysis on you know the metal and the pipe the welds and everything else and once they conclude that uh, study uh, then they'll provide a report to, to identify what was the result or what caused the release at this point in time all we know is that there was a piece of pipeline that failed and but we don't know what caused it at this point you mentioned earlier about a shallow water impact to the land type of a thing. Um, and then there, was it, is, is there a ranking for that? Is it minimal? Is there reclamation done? Is it, uh, what, what, uh, define that a little more if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, obviously, uh, up in the, in pretty much throughout North Dakota, there's uh, a lot of areas that have water or, uh, it's probably frozen now, but, uh, low lying areas because we had so much rain and it's been so saturated. So this was a low lying area that had wetland type vegetation in there. So it, it does hold water, but it's very shallow. Uh, so we classified that as, you know, water saturated soils or potential wetland. So there was a little impact there. They're gonna be able to remediate that, uh, get rid of the contamination and put in clean material. And so it can reestablish itself in the future. Have you guys been able to compare any of the similarities with the uh, Tioga spill? That's the other one that made national news um, with this. I'm pretty sure there's probably some similarities, but at the same time, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of differences as well. Yeah, every one of these sites is, is different. Uh, you know, they have their different characteristics based on where they're at, uh, soil types, time of year. Uh, in this case, you know, the, the Tesoro 
pipeline break up in uh, Tioga was a pretty extensive extensive spill. Uh, they chose a remediation uh, to look at digging up soil. They found out because of the crude type, Bakken is a little lighter, and so it migrates faster. And the geology type, there are sand seams in there that really allowed that oil to move pretty quickly in the subsurface. And so they had to chase after it and clean it up, which took them quite a long time to do that. Mr. David Glatt, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a second or two. We're going to take a brief pause when we come back. We'll continue the conversation with David Glatt, the director for the North Dakota Department of Environmental Quality, on an update with the Keystone Pipeline spill in eastern North Dakota. My name is Jason Spies, and you're listening to the Crude Life Week in Review. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. You want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make energy great again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make energy great again. Visit keepenergygreat.com. That's keepenergygreat.com. Down in the Delta, where there is shelter, no helter skelter, no blues around. I'm on my way now, most any day now, I'm Delta bound. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with David Glott, with the director of the North Dakota Department of Environmental Quality as he gives an update on the Keystone Pipeline spill in eastern North Dakota. David Glott, Director for the North Dakota Department of Environmental Quality. Yeah, every one of these sites is, is different. Uh, you know, they have their different characteristics based on where they're at, uh, soil types, time of year. Uh, in this case, you know, the, the Tesoro pipeline break up in uh, Tioga was a, a pretty extensive, extensive spill. Uh, they chose a remediation uh, to look at digging up soil. They found out because of the crude type, Bakken is a little lighter, and so it migrates faster. And the geology type, there are sand seams in there that really allowed that oil to move pretty quickly in the subsurface. And so they had to chase after it and clean it up, which took them quite a long time to do that. In this case, we're dealing with a, uh, a different type of crude, the tar sands crude, which is a lot thicker moves a lot slower. It was spilled in the time of year when it was really cold, so oil doesn't move too fast. Plus, the soil types there are really thick up in the valley uh, with heavy clay types, so it was pretty much contained right to the pipeline. 
they also had a monitoring system that detected the release and was able to shut down the pipeline in a very short period of time. So that minimized the impact. So we're feeling that uh, it's tough to compare site to site because of all the different variables, but this one up in Walsh County uh, was a lot smaller in scope due to the location and the soil types and the type of crude oil. So we're hopeful to clean that up in a lot shorter period of time. Say, I know you weren't prepared for the Tioga spill, but uh, I heard through the truckers and the cafes that they're about cleaned up up there. They're on they're on crop uh, reclamation remediation at this point. Is that do you know the latest on that? Yep. Uh, actually, I just talked to one of the soil scientists that was involved in restoring that area, and they have finished their remediation as far as cleanup of the contaminated area. They have reestablished the ground level and they did have a crop this year uh, I haven't have not talked to the landowners directly but uh, through other individuals they indicate that they were uh, pleased with the results this year uh, it's just the first year of, and then moving into next year hopefully we have a good cropping season for all farmers but we'll have to see how the 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 soil produces uh, what type of yields we get off that land and we're hopeful for uh, really good news but it's, it's tra- tracking in the right direction a lot of the media a lot of the money <laughs> a lot of the resources have gone into prevention with uh, innovation with you know the smart pigs and a lot of different uh, sensors uh, was there uh, pre- prevention is going to come up? Has that been discussed in terms of did something fail? Is was there something not up to code? Just talk to me on the prevention side. Have you guys had a meeting on, on that yet? I guess to find out how this happened. Not yet, and that's something we plan in the future. From every one of these spills, uh, we learn something, and we learn how to get better in monitoring, how to get better in our responses, and also cleanup. Uh, we plan to sit down with a company go through all their data from their monitoring system, you know, what was the thresholds for the alarms, how did they respond, how quickly did they respond to reduce the spill, and then from that we can determine are there things we can do better. Uh, One of the things that uh, the state is doing is looking through the EERC is IPIPE, is how can we use technology to minimize or eliminate pipeline breaks in the future. So we're hopeful that although these pipeline breaks are extremely bad and we don't want any of them we learn from it and from that we can improve the monitoring monitoring system going forward and so we're hopeful by our what we call forensic review of the data we can identify where are areas that can be tweaked and improved and overall reduce the number of spills that occur what's next then for for the state you mentioned to sit down and have a a meeting to discuss uh, how these things can be preventative, kind of the learning session. But what's next for those people listening now that um, kind of want to know what's happening up here? Well, we will continue to uh, uh, monitor the cleanup, uh, make sure that all the contamination is removed from the site and that new material is brought in and it was uh, regraded and put back to its original condition. That's what's really in front of us right now. Moving into the future, we will be sitting down with the company to review what happened, how quickly was the response, and could it have been avoided. We'll have those discussions with the company, and uh, that information will be coming out uh, as we go through the process. 
Uh, is there potential enforcement? I believe there is, and so we'll be looking at as well to see if uh, there's any monetary fines that are appropriate in this particular case. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Once again, that was David Glott with the director with the North Dakota Department of Environmental Quality with an update on the Keystone Pipeline spill in eastern North Dakota. For more information, go to thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies. You're listening to The Crude Life Week in Review. First full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Johnny Green, deep in the heart of the forest for the past 30 days. Picking up litter. Mick and Johnny Green's mind fitter. And since day one, Johnny Green's goal, Johnny Green's dream, Johnny Green's everything, has been to be the Earth's champion, to be the Earth Protection Alliance's top environmentalist, to be the number one and only sanctioned by the EPA. Above all that desire to be the champ was the privilege to represent the people. The privilege to learn real passion and the privilege to yearn for Mama Earth. Well, Johnny Green will plant 10,000 more trees if that's what it takes to keep this championship belt. Johnny Green will recycle another million cans if that's what it takes for Johnny Green to be the Earth's champion. Johnny Green will stand up to the biggest and baddest eco-bullies around. The purveyors of paranoia, if that's what it takes for Johnny Green to have the 15 pounds of eco-authority. Oh, Lord, mama, 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 it doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any better than that. Representing the people, getting the power of the people to be the Earth's champion. It's been a long journey. It's been a long journey, but today, Johnny Green stands in eco-glory as the Earth's champion. Whether Johnny Green is here or not with the belt, whether Johnny Green is here or not, it is a piece and part of every one of you. Every single one of you. Every time you pick up a piece of trash that isn't yours, this belt's for you. Every single time you recycle plastic cups after your daughter's graduation, this belt's for you. Every time you go outside and take a senior picture and use Mama Earth for your natural light, well, this belt's for you. This 
15 pounds of eco-authority proves it's all about the people and saving Mama Earth. Because this belt's for you. This championship belt proves once again that Johnny Green, the greatest environmentalist on Earth, will stand up to the eco-bullies and the purveyors of paranoia and recycle all that negative energy and turn it into positive energy for the people and the eco-enthusiasts and all the little greeniacs. Johnny Green knows who loves Mama Earth. And Johnny Green knows you purveyors of paranoia pull on the hot strings and pander your way all the way to eco-profit land. Johnny Green, the greatest environmentalist on Earth, is a boot quaker of the eco-faker. A dream maker and a big old hairy salt and pepper shaker. Johnny Green is salt and pepper of the earth. At the end of the day, Johnny Green knows the purveyors of paranoia and the eco-elites are going to know who the greatest environmentalist on earth is. Eco, ding dong, deco. Johnny Green is asking each and every one of you to come join the Ecolution and stop posting pollution. Johnny Green! Jason Speece, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Speece on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spees, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spees. Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make energy great again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make energy great again. Visit keepenergygreat.com. That's keepenergygreat.com. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, we have our weekly Davis Refinery update. The Davis Refinery coming to Belfield, North Dakota, the first greenfield refinery to be built in the United States in the past 50 years, and it's coming to the Bakken, Belfield, North Dakota, just a little bit west of Dickinson, North Dakota, on I-94, the interstate. Of course, you've got rail interstate all kinds of arteries that'll be connected to the belfield davis refinery if you will in the bakken well anyway let's get to william prentice the ceo of meridian energy group with our weekly davis refinery update this is william prentice the ceo of meridian energy group moving crude around is uh, developing rapidly uh, the design for the uh, refinery because of the nature of the crude is going to be very similar to davis uh, the only thing we have there that's different really is uh, a higher sulfur content. And uh, that means actually it's better than Bakken because we can use conventional uh, sulfur removal as opposed to Bakken requires a slightly more uh, custom uh, technology, if you will, because Bakken uh, sulfur is so low. Um, 
you know, and, and so it's it's just going to be a little bit more traditional refinery. It's going to be a little bit larger than than the Davis refinery. Uh, Texas uh, permitting is, uh, from a regulatory point of view, uh, very similar to North Dakota. So our experience in uh, permitting the Davis refinery is directly applicable. In fact, the same guys are going to handle the entire process for us. Um, and uh, we're just excited to get it started. Uh, you know, we did the uh, land deal uh, back in February. Uh, we've been collecting information, and we're just about to ready to start uh, soils and geology work there. And then, uh, then we'll be starting the permit process very quickly. I know I mentioned that the uh, action of going ahead with another refinery shows how much you believe in your technology, your innovation, and everything else. But, you know, also it shows that you guys have put together a model, a formula. Um, talk to me about the Meridian model that you guys have come up with, because it appears to me you guys are leveraging some technologies and some resources. Yeah, we're... Uh... Our intellectual property is not purely technical. Um, you know, the, if, uh, if you could still patent business methodology like Amazon did back in the day, uh, we'd be real busy with a patent application right now. Uh, but the technology itself is already proven. We're not, we're not doing anything that's uh, uh, bent scale, uh, you know, that needs to be proven. This is all uh, lead pipe cinch. We know it's going to work. Uh, the way we integrate it is different. The way we handle uh, the control technology is different. It's going to be the first uh, digital refinery in effect. Uh, so it, it embraces everything that's evolved over the last uh, couple of decades on information technology. And we find that that combination requires very little tweaking if when we move from one shale basin to another. Um, and so, therefore, uh, it's not a perfect cookie cutter, but uh, it's close enough for us, and we're going to take it elsewhere. Uh, the Walton Station uh, site is, is done. We're starting all the work necessary to, to move the permitting forward. Um, we have a third uh, location that we're inciting on right now uh, in the uh, Oklahoma uh, frame of reference. I won't be more specific than that, but that'll be our third location. And then, uh, then we'll branch out from there. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, there's some international interest, which we could handle through joint ventures and other relationships. To, I mean, that's getting way down the road. Um, you know, we're, we want to get Davis built and, uh, and Walton station permitted, um, before we start worrying too much about uh, the distant future. A third location, international in, uh, interest, that's what we call in the business a tease. So we'll have to keep Mr. William Prentice on our speed dial to make sure we know what's happening down the path, because that's where I see you guys going too, is international with this. It doesn't surprise me at all that you're already getting um, entertained, if you will, about some international uh, refineries and interests, etc. So, uh, any final thoughts? Anything we left out? Anything you you might want to reiterate? Anything that uh, you have as a extra message or a chili recipe? Anything like that uh, for today? You know me; I like to give guests the final words, so the question's not framed by the host. <laughs> you know, 
I had a bowl of uh, wild boar chili the other day, and I wish I had the recipe for it. It was great. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for the, the person to actually take me up on that because I throw that out there as a joke every now and then, but I'm expecting one little smart guy is going to come forward and say, I've got a great jambalaya recipe that will knock your socks off. <laughs> anyway. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll find out how to make wild board chili before we talk next time. But, you know, the one thing I might add is, uh, you know, people in North Dakota have been very patient with us uh, it's taken us a long time to get the permits. Uh, you know, it seems like it's taken a long time for the refinery to get started. It's it's awfully hard if you're in North Dakota to see uh, all of the work that's ongoing on Davis. Uh, you know, it's all engineering and, and procurement related, and it's all happening in Houston right now. So I, I understand the impatience, and uh, I just want to apologize for that uh, there's going to be an increasing amount of activity at the site starting next year because that's when we'll have foundation designs done and we'll be ready to get those foundations started so that the modules can be installed as they're uh, fabricated and shipped. Um, so, you know, uh, we're eager to get the project built and uh, I think uh, everybody that's that's helped us in North Dakota with this project and uh, they're not going to be sorry that they did. And that was William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to click on our social media tab. We've got the YouTubes, the Facebooks, even the Twitters. 350,000 followers in our network. We have the list of pages right there on the social media tab, thecrudelife.com. Be sure to pick up your Crude Life clothing as well. Keep calm and frack on. If you go to thecrudelife.com, you'll be able to see the pictures of people wearing the Crude Life clothing. Just click on that. It'll bring you right to our store or just click on the store tab as well. Whichever, if you like the, if you're like me, if you like the pictures on the menu or, you know, if you like, I like the Chinese restaurants where you just name the letter and number. I'll take the uh, L7, please. I'll take the G4, please. I don't mind that at all. Of course, at the Chinese restaurants, they also have pictures on them as well. So, All right, hey, that's going to wrap it up this week for the Crude Life Week in Review. Kind of went a little sideways there at the end, but that's okay. That's what happens when you're living the crude life. My name is Jason Spies. I'd like to thank David Glott from the North Dakota Department of Environmental Quality, Dayton Mars for telling the story about how his bulk Patagonia backpack order was rejected, and... William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group with our weekly Davis Refinery. Of course, all those interviews are available at thecrudelife.com. From the staff here at The Crude Life Week in Review, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. Falls on foreign ground, and I feel like going back to North Dakota. Take a job, find a wife. Finally settle down, but right now I'm addicted to emotion and freedom at my selfish solitude provides, and I'd hate to think that I'd become. 
Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make energy great again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make energy great again. Visit keepenergygreat.com. That's keepenergygreat.com. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. With construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery.